Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, the J10 Initiative. Hey folks, welcome to the podcast. Greetings. Father John, Father Nathan here. Round two. Round two. It's getting late after a very basic day. Yeah. Very basic evening, but we're uh, we're doing it again. We, uh, we're, we're always trying to kind of get ahead, but Oof. I tell you what, it's uh, we always seem to be like right on the cusp of it. It's harder and harder to do two podcasts in a row because right. we're usually starting at like 8 p.m. Right. And then it's usually 8.30 p.m. And then it's like... So our routine is um, Thursday nights, but I don't finish with my guys until, you know, 7.30. And at then least. I get over here at 8 and then... You know, you got to kind of warm it up a little bit and chit chat with the other priests, and then here we are, kind of getting into it. And mm-hmm. you got a full day tomorrow; starts early, so I'm going to climb with uh, Mike oh, Zizda tomorrow. Shoot, what'd you forget? I got to dethaw those walleyes. Willie oh, walleyes yeah, you for do. tomorrow because we got Willie tomorrow. Shoot. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that's uh, this is. I tell you what. If you'll excuse me, I gotta text my maintenance guy. You want a um, you want a direct access point to the heart of Mary Nepple. You bring fresh walleye that you caught in Canada. True. And you bring it over. And I've tasted this because we had the walleye. You remember that you did the? Oh yeah, I remember the store bought walleye, and then the walleye you had, and it was remarkably different. So the, the store bought walleye had a little more like. It was thicker, yeah, but it didn't have as much flavor, right? So it's going to be a a little nice little feast tomorrow with uh, Mama and Papa Nepple. Looking forward to that. You have a deep, making, do you have a deep fryer? Am I making everything? No, she's got all the sides. Oh, cheesy perfect. potatoes or whatever oh, she's yes. making. So, yep. Oh it's yeah, gonna be, it's going to be delicious. So. Oh yeah, no, I I because I mean part of it is you don't want to you don't want to dethaw it like. You don't want to dethaw completely. You just want to get it thawed through like some cold water, right? Um, but I meant to take it out earlier. So this this podcast is slowly becoming Catholic foods you should eat. Well, uh, Canadian walleye from Stan and Jackie um, is definitely something you should eat. Speaking of fish fries, are we going to get up to um, a certain bar? Uh, at the fringe edge of your Get uh, parish boundaries. They just got their liquor license. Because I saw signs are up. Classic. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. Yeah. Rocky I'm, Flats Lounge. Yeah, it's back up. On I, Highway 93, folks. I this just is, I just got the um, I just got the menu the other day. Is it still the uh, Packer Bar? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep, the bar. Yep. Yeah, this place is an institution. It just, they burn it down. It just can't die. Yep. All right. Well, let's put that on the uh, the docket. Hogans. Let's put that on the docket for we're sure. Up there. Yep. All right. So we're gonna roll into this here, and here I'm gonna try go. and keep this thing short, kind of like your haircut, tight on the sides, curly on the top, fluffy on the top, fluffy on the top. That's what we're gonna hope for with this podcast here. Unfortunately, I've picked up one of the thorniest and difficult theological issues because I haven't prepared. And so I'm just kind of spewing off what I'm interested in and what I'm thinking about all Intriguing. day. Intriguing. So, but I want to tell you a story before we get into this. This happened on Tuesday. Okay. So it's about four o'clock in the afternoon. And I'm coming back and uh, I walk into the house. This is at St. Joseph's Parish. And uh, Julius is walking in also. Julius is uh, my seminarian from Uganda going to be a deacon in a month and two days. Amazing guy. Just love him. And Where is he getting ordained? At uh, Nativity in Broomfield. Oh. So this parish in, in our archdiocese is run by the priests, the CL priests, uh, Missionary Fraternity of St. Charles Borromeo, and they have a, they have, some of their missionary priests are in Uganda, and they're building, this parish is building a high school in what? his diocese. Yeah. He's fraternity? No, he's not fraternity. Oh. So, but the fraternity was the connection, got and it. then we got him and we sponsored him. Cool. Guess how long Julius has been in seminary for? Fifteen what? years. Wow. I asked him and I said, "Weren't I heard that you were a formator at one point for the minor seminary?" He's like, "Yeah, I was crazy. 120 guys f- between the ages of 12 and 22, and what they do is they work the farms. So you, you're 12, you show up and." You take classes, but you you work in the fields with the workers, and uh, that's that's where their food source is, and that's that's their income for the seminary mm-hmm. is working. And I was like, that's 
Pretty amazing. Yeah, that's legit. That's legit. That's good work. So Julius and I are walking in. I walk in first, and uh, he's talking to this guy who comes out of the street corner, homeless guy. And uh, he he walks in as I'm walking in after him, and he says, hey, this guy wants to talk to a priest. And without getting too personal, I was like, I, I really got to go to the bathroom. Why don't you talk to him and and feel, you know vet it a little bit, you know, if he just wants money or something like that. And, right. uh, and uh, so I come back out, and he goes, he really wants to talk to a priest. I said, okay. So I go out, and I talk to Andrew. And because I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, I have all these, this is, I, I've unfortunately hardened a little bit um, with the, with the homeless because in Rome it was so, um, it was so, it was such a complex and, and rather aggressive situation. Sure. You know, it's just not a real world and the interactions were not very good. So I was kind of like, ah, I don't really want to do this. This is, you know, and then I was like, this is like Jesus at the door right now. So you better get out there and talk to him. Right. So I go outside and talk to him. Uh, clearly intoxicated, but um, nonetheless interested in talking and, and fairly coherent. And he says to me, he says, I got a question for you, Father. And he says, he says, what's your name? And I said, Father John. And he goes, well, I'm Andrew. And I said, okay, nice to meet you. And um, then a couple minutes later, I forgot his name. And I said, what was your name again? And he goes, I already told you. It's Andrew. He's like, I didn't forget your name, Father Jonathan. So I became Father Jonathan the whole time. So... He goes right into it, and he says, um, there's a nice big parking complex on 15th and Emerson, and I'm thinking about throwing myself off the fifth floor of it oh. because I'm tired of living. And I was like, okay, all right. So we're just jumping right into it. And then he starts going into this theological thing where he says, you know, I believe he's got a rosary on his neck, and, and he says, well, one of the reasons I'm going to do this is because I believe in Jesus. And I was like, tell me more about that. And he says, um, Jesus has forgiven me of my sins, past, present, and future. Hmm. And I don't want to live anymore. I'm tired of this life, and I want to be in heaven, so I'm, I'm going to take my life. And I was like, wow, this is interesting. Um, and so we talked for a long time, and uh, you know, by the end of the conversation, it was uh, – I said, you know, the conversation was kind of coming to its end, and I said – I'd like, you know, can I give you some food? I have some bars in my car. And he goes, he goes, I can't eat any bars. I don't have any teeth. And I, he goes, he smiles at me. I was like, oh, you don't have any teeth. Okay. I said, can you numb on some Cheez-Its? Because I got a lot of Cheez-Its in the house. And he goes, yeah. So I said, I'll be right back. So I bring out a box of Cheez-Its. And he looks at me and he goes, Father Jonathan, I appreciate these Cheez-Its. He's like, I got a little something for you. He pulls out a bottle of Fireball and he goes, let's do this, man. You're a priest. I know you can drink. And I was like, thank you. Probably not going to shoot some fireball with you right now, but I really appreciated the gesture. And we kind of went our way, and it was great. But the point of the story was I was like, uh, I told the guys in class, I said, uh, theology matters. Theology matters. It's not something we just do in a classroom. It it affects life. And and somebody taught him something that was false about theology, about redemption and about how grace works. And yeah, he's drunk and he's mentally not there, but it's leading him towards contemplation of really bad actions because he doesn't understand properly how grace works. But I, I honestly believe that somebody must have explained to him at some point this principle, right, about once saved, always saved, that he's now applying in a, in a false way. Hmm. And the, the point of it was, because you remember C.J. Mast had that great question in class. Remember that? Uh, we were in Mariology, and he just blurts out, blurts out in the middle of class. He just goes, why does this even matter at all? It was a classic C.J. moment, Deacon C.J. I said, that's the best question anybody's asked all day. Why does this even matter? Right? Sure. And so that's kind of the point, is to say that um, theological ideas are very powerful, and they're very important. And And the ideas that have been most significant in the modern period, are the questions of nature and grace, which are very difficult and very thorny. But that's precisely what this homeless guy was struggling with, is like, what is grace? What is redemption? How does this work? In a very kind of rough way. Mm-hmm. But but you, you dig a little below the surface and you realize that the, there's ideas here at work that are have penetrated his mind and are informing his actions or his potential actions. You know, So that's, the, that's just kind of the introductory story to kind of Try and get you a little bit interested here. So does did he have he had an actual plan to no, carry out? I don't think so. 
The more I talked to him, I, I, I didn't think so. He wasn't actually interested in it. He was grateful for the Cheez-Its, but you didn't actually believe he was a danger to himself. I didn't think so. No. Sure. No. By the end of the conversation. And, uh, you know, I you never know. If Did he say what his background was in? No, he didn't. Okay. But he he's funny. He was wearing a rosary. And then I said, um, do you ever go by the Samaritan house? I said, there's some really good friars down there, and um, they're there to help. You know, they're there to help. They have a lot of resources. And he goes, I would never step foot in a Catholic place like that. Why would I ever go there? And I was like, you're talking to a Catholic priest right now. I said that to him. And he goes, oh, sorry, Father Jonathan. Sorry about that. And I said, that's okay. There's also the Denver Rescue Mission right next door. Sure. I said, so I said, just there are resources out there. We're on the fringe of the Golden Triangle, you know, in Denver. So we're, we get we get a lot of the homeless population kind of moving around. But I, uh, but I, I was I was interested in reflecting on that theologically. And then um, it so happened that 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 event happened while I was talking about this very very difficult issue around nature and the supernatural. Uh huh. And uh, Delubach. Delubach, and that's what we're talking about today. So Spicy. I told these poor deacons, you know, they, they, these guys get ordained that weekend and then Monday morning, 8 a.m., I'm introducing them to the, to the hottest theological topic of the 20th century. It was Team Ramrod. It was like, boom, we're going for this, you know. So today we brought it down. I said, we're going to bring back down to zone three. Just aerobic exercise, you know. No more of this threshold. Sure. You know, threshold work, going into zone five. You're gonna bonk. I said we got to kind of slow down the pace a little bit. Got but, it. But for earlier in the week, we we hit it. We hit it kind of hard. On nature and grace. On the question of nature and grace, which is also a question of the natural and the supernatural. Now, I would like to point out that there was a great podcast done by a certain Dominican named Father Austin when I was in Rome with him, um, and I think it's called "Everything Is Not Grace." Okay. Hmm. Everything is not grace. So you can check that out. These will hopefully pair together well. But I'd like to just basically introduce us to um, this issue, and uh, we're not really going to go into it too long because it's late and we're tired. What exactly is the issue at hand? The issue at hand? Yeah. Well, I'll explain it to you. Okay. So. Well, I'm just saying, like, man has a nature from God. Mm-hmm. Grace is our participation in God's nature, mm-hmm. correct? Mm-hmm. And so then the question is, without God, does man have a naturally religious disposition? Yes, a natural desire for God, for the supernatural. Hmm. So the question basically is, what does St. Thomas Aquinas mean when he says that the natural end of man is supernatural, beatific vision? Man is made for the supernatural. Sure. Here's the tricky thing, though. How could God give a desire without a capacity to fulfill that desire? Right. So I think the context we have to frame this in is to remember that man is created in a state of original justice. He's created in grace in the garden. All right? So whether it's, you know, kind of uh, I was corrected on hominid instead of hominoid or humanoid. Thank you, Kate Spatia. That was the one thing. I know what she meant to say, which was, I love the podcast, and you're so great. But what she said was, humanoid's not a word, you idiot. Thanks, right? Kate. Thanks, Kate Spatia. Appreciate that. So It's actually pronounced Spasha. Spasha, exactly. So um, that's the question, is interpreting and understanding the tradition in light of that and some of the developments that happen. So the, the first thing to say is that um, in the tradition, we talk about this thing called the supernatural Okay, so the fathers will describe supernatural. First, it's hupefusis, right? Ab- above nature, so to speak. Yes. Right? Which gets translated as uh, supernaturalis. And that's like sixth century, it goes into the Latin. So this, the word supernatural is there. Obviously, we're living now in a time where supernatural is, is one of these kind of really blurred, complicated words. But it, it, this becomes a very difficult issue when you start to say, okay, if man was created in grace and his nature is ordered towards grace, but he's, but there's not an exigency, meaning a necessity for grace, right? Because grace is fully gratuitous, it's sure. fully gifted, uh-huh. then how the heck do we understand that relationship? Okay. So the first thing to say is there's three examples that are extremes that are not good ways of describing the... Um, 
the relationship between the natural and the supernatural. Okay. Uh, because, and again, the, going back to CJ's question, why does this matter at all? Because we live in a culture where there's no such, there's no difference between the Christian and the regular person. Nobody thinks that's any different. It doesn't matter. Grace doesn't, grace isn't real, right? Sure. I describe grace as, it's like Joe Digert's grandpa used to butt oofle dust on the cards, you know? Have you ever watched Digert do that? Yeah. During Euchre? Oofle dust. That's kind of how we think of grace. It's just kind of, you know. Magic of, powder. Instead of this thing that is, that are, um, our our being, our nature has an intrinsic native openness to, but that God fully gifts. Okay, so the first the first problem is to say, okay, well, what is the relationship here? Um, and basically, what happens is that there's three different ways that 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 relationship is not is not good. Those three examples are what we'll call an e- extrinsic relationship, a partial relationship, and an intrinsic relationship. Okay, extrinsic, grace and nature are separate totally separate things, the supernatural, the natural, and they're like Lego blocks that kind of put on each I uh, Sometimes I make up stupid words to kind of get things to stick in guys' heads. So I, I said it's like Lego blocky, made it into an adjective, right? So like grace becomes this Lego blocky thing that kind of builds on top of nature, right? In the 19th century, we spoke a lot about supernature. Uh-huh. And that kind of gives a sense of like, just the block on top, right? But they don't actually, they're in relationship, but there's not enough of a, penetration okay that's extrinsic uh-huh. the opposite extreme would of course be uh that they're two blended together okay so if the if the extrinsic vision of what grace is is taking the phrase grace builds on nature and isolating it too much or making it too extreme then it becomes lego blocky right intrinsic is where people will critique Bernanos, the last line of his book, Diary of a Country Priest, which again is a, is a beautiful, beautiful book. And he's saying something profound, but it's in a literary form where he says, everything is grace. Mm-hmm. All is tout est grace, right? At the end of the book, all is grace. Well, what does that mean exactly? That's, that's a bit too blended. And even we did a podcast with a certain friend of ours who's Byzantine on div- divinization and a certain friend of ours who's fasting on beer for all of Lent, a.k.a. Father Nick Blaha, had some reservations about it, right? Sure. So there's legitimate debates here about extrinsic, intrinsic. We're trying to figure out what is the relationship, but they're not totally blended and mixed, but they're also not Lego blocky where they're just connected like that. Then the third one in the middle is called partial, a partial relationship. Blending. Blending. That's where you take St. Augustine's lines of gratia sanans, right? that grace heals uh-huh. and you reduce the relationship to just that healing remedial aspect. Okay. What's the problem with that? Well, that's Jansen and by Bayes before him. So, and what happens is that the stronger the nature, the less you need grace. Does that make sense? If grace only heals, it doesn't perfect and elevate. Hmm. Then a partial view of grace is that grace is just only exists to kind of heal nature. Yeah. And so the stronger and more perfect we are by nature, the right. less we need grace. You right. Can see the that. better the food, the less salt you need. Right. So in some, way, in some ways, like God, God just sort of, you know, the, the cherry on top, but we've got, we got most of it. Right. That's it. Okay. Right. So that gets us to the question then of, okay, isn't why? This, isn't this, doesn't this just boil down to a, another regurgitation of, uh, how does Christ have humanity and divinity in the same person? Great theological instinct, right? That the incarnation, and especially the formulations that happened in Chalcedon, uh-huh. 451, right? right? With no mingling, you know? Right. No separation. These different, the, yes. that, that kind of Chalcedonian distinctions is how we have to understand nature and grace in a participated form. Because as you learned on a podcast one time, the sacred humanity of Christ is graced. Graced. Right? Sure. Right. So the, the the union of grace and nature is in Christ, and we're trying to participate in that and understand that, and that's where things get a in little bit In one tricky. suppositum, right? Right. In one substance. Right. So St. Thomas Aquinas. Two natures in one substance, right? And two natures in one substance. Okay. So Thomas talks about... Um, what I'm, I'm looking for a particular quote here. Yeah, so he says that um, the supernatural is obviously above and beyond the natural limits and possibilities humans have and will have at their disposal, right? Grace exceeds the conditions of created nature. 
Got it. Okay. So this is a new order. There's two orders that are at work here. The supernatural does not take away nature, but it rather perfects it. Okay. We know that. No problems there. The question then becomes, how do you interpret the fact that man's end is supernatural? Okay. Aquinas considers moral action in the life of grace on the basis of a simple a single last end of nature. So so you have two orders, right? You have the order of nature and the order of grace. But the, the reason it gets so complicated is because nature has a supernatural end. It doesn't have a natural end separately, hmm. according to St. Thomas Aquinas, okay? And some... Nature does have a native openness, what's also called a capax gratiae, right? A, 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 it's capable of receiving grace. Yes. It's also called the potentia ob- obedience alis, but we don't have time to go into that. So there, that within nature, nature has the grammar, so to speak. It's like it's prepared for it. It's ready for it. It desires to receive it. But what happens when you get to this whole thing where we can't fulfill ourselves? We can only be fulfilled in grace, so to speak. Nature as an order is kind of tethered to this to the supernatural. You're saying to yourself, what's the problem? Well, the problem is a guy named Dun Scotus, after Aquinas, says, makes a dialectical point. He says, if God creates human nature in such a way, he creates a desire that cannot be fulfilled, that you don't have the capacity to fulfill that, then there's one of two options. Either we're frustrated and miserable because our, we're intrinsically created to be frustrated, right? Or grace is... N- is necessarily has to be given by God so that we can be fulfilled. He has to. He has to do it. So it's no longer it presses his hand, right? And it removes the gratuity of grace. Sure. Right. And and um, Scotus will favor for that. He'll go for necessity. Okay. So then you move on, and what happens with the reformers is that they actually say there's no such thing as a native openness in nature to grace. There's no relationship between grace and nature. See, the Catholic question in the Catholic debate is what is the relationship between the orders of the supernatural and the, and the natural, between grace and nature. But the Protestant reformers say they literally remove that native openness, that capax gratiae. There's no possibility of relationship at all, right? So now you have a twofold problem. You got, you got Scotus saying God necessarily has to give grace, and the gratuitousness of grace is gone. And then you got the reformers coming in saying, nature doesn't even have the capacity to receive grace because of total depravity. Sure. So then what do you do? Enter Cajetan, right? You know Cajetan? Cajetan. Cajetano, right? Cajetano. Wonderful theologian who's trying to work this out. Mm-hmm. Don't worry, this will end soon, I promise. I'm I'm struggling, but okay. I, I think I'm I'm thinking I'm there. You're doing a lot better than I thought you would. Yeah, I'm listening. So Cajetan basically says we gotta get back the gratuitousness of grace. Okay. While so he, at the same time eliminating the necessity for grace. Right. So yeah, grace cannot be both necessitated and gratuitous. Right, at the and same we're not time. and we can't be depraved. That's what I meant. And we can't be depraved, right? So he says we gotta we kind of have to address this. So we have to clarify what St. Thomas Aquinas is saying when he says that there's one end, one end, and it's a supernatural end to nature. Then the question becomes, okay, what do you do with that? And and without going into a lot of detail here, Cajetan makes the distinction to say that that native openness is itself actually a fruit of grace. Okay, He hmm. says there's no such, that native desire and, and the natural desire for grace is, is it can't be so he kind of he kind of has to kind of flex a little bit but it starts to it starts to move towards that extrinsic lego block type thing right because when you're starting to defend the gratuity of grace you want to kind of show the distinction of it okay so what happens in in the centuries that follow uh, the council of trent is that you have this you're moving towards an extrinsic kind of type of thing but what happens with the reformers with luther is that if you totally separate the relationship of faith, or excuse me, of grace and nature, you get fideism and you get secularism, right? Does that make sense? Grace is its own realm, nature is its own realm, and it becomes, uh, it leads to secularism. Mm-hmm. So Cajetan is doing his thing, and he's trying to clarify and distinguish, and, and it's, it's beautiful what, what he's saying. But in the early 20th century, 
certain writers start to say, we need to defend and kind of bring grace and nature back together because of the secularization that's happening in the world. All right. So there's a guy. That, so this is part of the modernism, which is problematic. But there's a guy named Maurice Blondel, who's very good and who fights against modernism. And John Paul II defends Blondel. But then that gets to 1946, and Honor du Lubac writes an essay called Surnatural, right? Supernatural. Sure. And he basically says Cajetan's wrong, and that blows up into this massive, massive debate, right? Gergou Lagrange writes the great article saying, where is this novatology going, right? Where is the new theology going? Uh And all of a sudden, it blows up into Thomism versus Racehorse Mont, and we are still living in that time. I know you're doing great. Keep hanging in there. Just keep rubbing that beard, right? So the problem here is that the fighting happens between intrinsic and extrinsic and all these different kind of complexity things. And we're saying, what is the possibility of, of putting this back together? What does this actually mean? And I think that we've arrived at it through some really great thinkers. There's a guy named Lawrence Feingold. Um, there's Stephen Long wrote a wonderful book on this. And there's all kinds of stuff that we, we don't have time to go into. But the point of this, the whole the whole point of this presentation is to say that de Lubach's interest is saying grace really does profoundly penetrate nature, but we can't make it that intrinsic thing because then we fall back into necessity, right? Exigency. So how do we get out of Scotus's dialectic? That's that's the question of the twentieth century, right? And did Cajetan do it or not? And Scotus was when? Scotus was early, 14th century. And Cajetan was when? Uh, 16th, 17th century. So then 400 years after, 600 years after a debate that began, these thinkers that you mentioned are all from the 20th century or from the 21st century? 20th century, exactly. Exactly. Okay. So 1946, Sir is published. De Lubac openly opposes the, the position of Cajetan, which he saw proposes a clear distinction between uh, the natural and supernatural. Humans naturally experience a desire to see God, the gratuitous of salvation, and elevation links to a more fundamental gift of creation. Okay. So what is the point of all of this? Well, it's to say that, and, I, and I'm looking at right now, I'm looking at a, um, a really important distinction between um, that... Um, Paul Callahan makes to this, and again, I don't want to, I don't want to bore people with topics, but go back to the homeless guy for a second. Good, that's where I was going to go. The question, all of this is, if you could bring Delubach and Cajetan into that alleyway with me and talk to him, and maybe we, you know, I'll take a shot of Fireball and have some cheat, numb on some Cheez-Its, and then we say, okay, what exactly is the problem here? Part of the thing is that he has understood redemption as being something that's totally separate from his nature. Hmm. Grace is totally separate because the, the, the real problem here is the break of the relationship. It's just grace will take care of this. I'm going to kill myself and grace will take care of this. Sure. No problem. And it's like, how do we even have that conversation outside of the church. And so I think that within the church, we got we to gotta start kind of working together a little more to say, let's kind of move to really clarify this. And it's really tricky, right? That, that question about desire and capacity, right? This guy desires God. He desires the beatific vision. He desires to, to be in heaven. He does not have the capacity in himself to do that. And some Protestant told him, there's no relationship here whatsoever. So he thinks he can do something horrible and crazy, like jump off the fifth story of that parking garage. Yeah. And so in my, this was all going through my head as I was talking to him, and I was like, okay, this is not, not going to be helpful. I have, to, I have to say something. And it was basically just an appeal for, like, your life is still good. And he's just like, screw you, my life sucks. And I was like, I know. You, he had one arm, and he was telling me some stories and, and things, and it was – it was hard to like humanly communicate, you know, the intrinsic goodness of life, but also the way that nature matters, right? And I said, it's not your time. It's not your time. When the Lord wants you, He'll He'll bring you. But it's not. It's not your time. Don't, don't do this. This will not give glory to God. And I, I that was the whole thing was like praying that grace would actually work in His nature, right? That it would actually that the supernatural end His desire for the supernatural, which was so obviously in Him that that's not something that's absurd, 
Because what I saw in that homeless guy was the dialectic of of uh, SCOTUS, which is he's like, my existence, is, he didn't say this, but my existence is intrinsically frustrated because I'm created for something that I can't have in this life. And so God must necessarily give me grace, even if I just take my life because I that's what I want to do. And that ties back into your your podcast from last week about control, right? Mm-hmm. And again, real-time scenarios, this is difficult stuff to kind of sure. talk to a drunk homeless guy about as we're eating Cheez-Its together. Um, but when we stop and reflect on it, you can see how complicated and frustrated human life is precisely because our end is something that is supernatural. And this is not just the homeless guy on 6th Avenue. This is my wealthy parishioner's at Good Shepherd or in Boulder, this is every human being. We're always looking to fulfill ourselves on a natural level, and we really think that we can do that, and maybe grace will help us to fulfill our natural desire for happiness, right? Our own kind of move towards eudaimonia. And I, I, I just, more and more, I'm just like, man, we, we, I understand why people have been fighting about this for centuries because it's so important. We gotta, we gotta get, we got to get it straight and we have to get back to it. And it's something we have to kind of, a question that we have to continually keep before us. Right. So what would you say that uh, SCOTUS would say to this guy? Because you said it's, or no, not SCOTUS, um, Cajetan and um, DeLubach would say to this guy, Andrew, one would say that your nature is, Cajetan would say that your nature is such that uh, you are receiving this grace from God as something extrinsic. Cajetan? Uh, Cajetan. Yeah. So Cajetan would say your desire to see God is is a fruit of grace. Okay. So that's, that's nuancing slash changing, depending on who you ask, the position of St. Thomas, right? So it's all about how do you interpret St. Thomas. So this guy desires to see God. He hates his life. He wants out. It's a fruit of grace. It's a fruit of grace. Or is it that native openness? Now, the problem with Cajetan's thing and the reason why... That's De Lu- what DeLubach would say. The, the, yeah. And the reason why DeLubach and the guys in the 20th century are reacting to this is because what, what happens is, not in Cajetan, but later on, the two orders become two planes. So you have a natural order with a natural end and then a supernatural order with a supernatural end. And that becomes the, the twofold thing. So, yeah, it would have been interesting to put them in the alleyway together and to, and to hear what they have to say. But, yeah, Kajdan very clearly says, your natural, your natural desire to see God is itself. It's not natural. It's a fruit of grace, right? And you have, it's purely passive, this receptivity and this openness that you have. I think the Lubach would say more of there's something here God is not necessitated, and his and his um, gratuitousness is not is not compromised. But there's something in you that's made for supernatural because you were made for the garden, right? And in Christ, something changes here, where the possibility is reopened. And so the question of how do you apply the merits of Christ and His redemption to your life? This that's the whole that's the whole thing here. And again, in a pastoral setting, you're just trying to tell you're just trying to convince them don't do this. But sure. when we step back and we really think about this, I think the whole question of grace and nature, if it's too abstracted from the concrete historical fact of Jesus and then the concrete realization that there's no such thing as like the supernatural plane. It's about God breaking into his life, which I pray happened that night over Cheese It's and Fireball that said, I'm gonna concretely bring you into the experience of the supernatural. And I think that's that's part of the whole the whole thing. So I could go on and on and on about this, but I, I wanted to at least introduce this very thorny question and, and not to villainize Delubach or to villainize Cajetan, but just to say that if you hear people talk about the supernatural and it's a hot topic and it goes back and forth, it's it's because it really does matter. Like these are really prayerful and really good men who have been thinking about this. And I'm, I've been trying to get my head around this, this question for a couple of years. And I certainly was not able to do it at 8am on Monday morning with the guys, but it's worth at least introducing that sure. your nature is made for the supernatural. And uh, the question of how does that actually play out? And what does that look like? What is the correspondence or non-correspondence between desire and capacity, all these different things? 
Well, that's all secondary. But the fundamental thing, as you're listening to this in Lent, is that you cannot fulfill yourself. Right? Maybe that's where we'll just land the plane here. You cannot fulfill yourself. There's not a natural end that you have the capacity f- to fulfill, mm-hmm. but you need grace. That doesn't mean God necessarily has to give you grace. Contra, you know, um, some people following Kajdan. It also doesn't mean that God never could have created things like this. He could have created pure nature. Those are, those are possibilities. But what we do know is that from St. Thomas Aquinas, God creates man with one end, and it's the supernatural. And in the garden, they had it, they lost it, and in Christ, we have the possibility of receiving it again, but it plays out concretely and historically, and sometimes that means eating numb and Cheez-Its in an alleyway and trying to kind of work through this together. Sure. There Theologian. you go. Theologian laying down in the, uh, laying it down in the alleyway. This was a risky one tonight. And uh, not ideal for 10 o'clock at night. It's a risky one. You're, you're a good man. I appreciate you. I see the eyes are starting to turn into little slits. Yeah. I mean, I, I would just say... Um, blame it on the, day, on, the, on the day job, right? No, you blame it on the alcohol. Um, yeah, I would say this is a podcast where you probably need to have people take notes because uh, a lot of the things that you're referencing go back to... Like there's almost like five different characters, and you have to you have to remember what all the five different characters are about. You know, they're all like Pokemon. They have like <laughs> different strengths and weaknesses. They're both saying something about God and something about persons, but it doesn't have the full perspective. Um, and ultimately, like the the mega Pokemon is is Thomas Aquinas, who probably will tell all four of the dudes. Actually, you got it all completely wrong. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I think it's a tough topic because I mean, I know from my own personal experience that Delubach isn't exactly widely accepted, you know, as coming up with the final answer. And I don't know the other two chaps that you mentioned that kind of talk about it afterwards. Right. Um, but it is it is an important question because we're developing from Aristotle, who says that happiness is the is the end of of man. But then we actually say, well, it's not just happiness in this life. There's happiness in the next. But everybody everybody thinks they're going to heaven, right? So they already they're already granting the presupposition that there is an end beyond this life. They're right. already saying that there is a supernature. But then how does their nature fit into that reality? It's sort of like, man, I don't know. Like today, I mean, honestly, like I celebrated that funeral. And there were some people there that are kind of smiling and nodding. And they're like, yeah, I believe that my grandma's in heaven. Right. But they don't believe. They don't believe in Jesus. They certainly don't believe in the effects of the church or the sacraments or the whole thing. And then it's like, well, how can you fast forward to the end and say, yeah, it's all going to work out all right, but... I can do whatever I want now, which is effectively what that guy said. Right. I can jump off a building because I know ultimately it's going to be all right. And I'm like, eh. Yeah. It's a, what if you're wrong? Yeah, it's a secularized salvation because heaven is Jesus, right? Heaven is Jesus. Heaven, heaven is not just a place where we go and ski sweet, sweet powder. Right. Or eat great, I don't know. Corned uh, beef hash. Corned beef hash. It'll happen. That might happen. I will see the form of corned beef hash. <laughs> Which you've been searching. You have a supernatural desire for that corned beef I hash. I do. You're, Sam, you're, you're looking for it in, in the natural. But. Shout out to Sam's number three. Uh, I had it, uh, their corned beef hash, their scratch corned beef hash the other day, and it was like, well, that was an attempt. Um, I would lighten up a little bit on the vegetable oil that you squirted on the grill in order to fry the corned beef hash, but it was an attempt you know? Yeah. But we do have a desire that's beyond us, but everybody thinks that um, that they're automatically going to receive that because somehow everything works out all right. Right. They lived happily ever after. So if for the last few centuries we exalted and had too much of a Lego block extrinsic vision of how grace and nature worked, mm-hmm. in the last century we have swung too much to the other side of where it's everything is just kind of grace and nature kind of blended together and then we all get to live happily ever after in heaven. Right. 
So now we're trying to kind of sort that out. And Delubach had some good points. 1946, Surnaturel was difficult. He, he rewrote it and kind of nuanced some things. 1965, a book called The Mystery of the Supernatural. If you'd like to read that, it's really good. And then there's some great works that have been done since then. Um, but I think at the end of the day, the, the whole point of this is to say, and there's a great quote here I have from Giacomo Leopardi, who is the beloved poet, philosopher poet of? Pope Francis. No. Luigi Giussani. Loved, oh, nice. Lovely party. Who we're celebrating 15 years of his death, I think, this week. So, wow. what a wonderful man, man. What an amazing priest. But here's what Leopardi says All things can be happy about themselves. All things can be happy about themselves except humans. And this shows that their existence is not limited to this world like that of other beings. Human beings cannot be happy about themselves. We have to quit trying to be happy about ourselves. We think. That Peloton workout, skiing that pow, eating that corned beef hash, whatever it is, this is going to make me happy, right? My marriage, my family, my children, my relationships. I remember being in high school, and George Mateva's dad would have a couple of scotches, and then we would sit down and we would talk philosophy, and he would just always say, my family is my religion, right? My family is my faith. But I was just like, George, that's not going to fulfill you, right? You're made for something. This is this is why human life is so frustrated. And frankly, I think the homeless guy is the only, is one of the few people in Denver who actually is feeling that at that moment of like, I'm not satisfied. Right. Now, somebody gave him a bad theological answer, but at least he's feeling that intensity. And I tell you what, when we go into moments of real suffering, when the tra- I, I was talking to a friend of mine today, going through a family, a literal tragedy in his family. These are the things that awaken us to the fact that we cannot fulfill ourselves on a natural level. As Goronsky loved to quote the Dalai Lama, where do the gods live? Santa Barbara. In Santa Barbara, right? It's not enough. It's not enough to live in Santa Barbara. It's not enough to live, I don't know, in Rhino, go to Greg, Gregory Allen Isakoff concerts, ski, champagne powder, and steamboat, whatever it is. It's not right. enough. We're right. made for the supernatural. It's our end. How that plays out, how it works with grace and nature, it's a mystery. It's a mystery located in the incarnation, and that's where we have to point to. But hey, at least we're interested. In but I think I think a lot of people are settling for the mystical versus instead of the supernatural, because the mystical is I can create that experience. I know that I can go back to that place. You know, drugs, ecstasy, like not ecstasy the drug, but like allowing yourself to get so high on something. Right. You know, a certain moderator, the companions with glow sticks and a club in Boulder or whatever, <laughs> you know, like you just keep having this experience such that it's like, that was beyond me. Right. And that was above me. So that was above my nature. And therefore I have created the supernatural. And it's like, eh, you've created an experience right. of, of mysticism. You may not necessarily have arrived at the supernatural. Right. So... Because the supernatural, though it's our end, or ordered towards, it's, it is always a gift. Grace is always a gift. Yeah. We can't take it. We can take drugs. We can't take grace, right? It's not, an, it's not necessarily given to us. It has to be received. We can't just break on through to the other side, right? Jim Morris. Yeah, we try. And uh, it just doesn't work. So I think that the, the challenge for us, those of us who are practicing Catholics, trying to be faithful to the Lord... We have to be very careful about religious techniques. I do this and I get this because that's the ne- that's that necessity of grace that goes mm-hmm. back to Scotus. Instead mm-hmm. of saying God gives freely, and God, we have to we have to learn how to trust in surrender and humility and openness and stand in that posture of openness, like Our Lady, and just receive. And saying, "There's no guarantees in this life that I'm going to be fulfilled. Christianity is not going to make me just happier and wealthier and better looking." You know, give me that six pack of abs that I've always wanted. Like, this is not how it works. And I I think that all of this is tied into a very theological and interesting uh, foundation. But But at a certain point at 10 p.m., you got to kind of say, well, let's. That's right. I'm I'm glad that I'm glad that Andrew found, uh, you know, some Cheez-Its and that you didn't contract uh, oral herpes by uh, taking a shot of Fireball. It was tough to give up those toasty. Cheez-Its, but you know what? My guy said, that's okay. You can let go. Just let go. Did somebody give those to the podcast? Yeah. An anonymous box 
was sent to mm-hmm. St. John Vianney Seminary, huh. which we enjoyed for several days. Uh-huh. And then uh, it was handed over. I thought we have to tithe our Jesus, but we're out. <clears throat> we're out of Jesus. So you know, enough. Enough. All right, let's go to let's stay go. this madness. Stay this madness. Let's go to shout outs here. Thank you. Thank you for hanging with that. Can you do an anti shout out? Is that like where you go at somebody? Always. Okay. Ben Horn, seminarian from wherever. What? Sympathizer to Ian Wintering. So Ian tells me tells me tonight dinner. He sided with Ian on the on the Cheese It debate. Which is what? Oh, you didn't hear about this. Okay, no. very briefly. I get the first box of extra toasty Cheese Its that arrive, thanks to a wonderful podcast listener. I put them on the community shelf in yes. my parish house. Uh huh. I walk into the kitchen an hour later. Ian Ian Wintering has taken them and put them in his private cubby because he likes Cheez-Its. So it's a huge, hot debate. Was this a morally justifiable act? Which 99% of the human population says, absolutely not. Those were communal Cheez-Its. You can't take communal stuff, put them in your cubby. Except for Ben Horn, who apparently thinks that was totally legitimate. And Ian staunchly holds to it. So... That was an anti-shout-out to what ben, exactly, ben Horn. What exactly is the nature of the communal shelf? Does that mean it stays on the communal shelf and people can eat it? Or I don't need this anymore and anyone can take it? It stays on the communal shelf and we eat it communally. So I put a box of cookies out there for my mom. You take a cookie. It's communal cookies. You don't take all of the cookies <laughs> and go to your bedroom and put them in your bedroom. That's true. Right? One of my parishioners, one of my parishioners, she bought a, a loaf, an entire loaf of Italian bread, you know, like one of those long ones. Right. And uh, she went looking for it because she was like, I was going to make French toast out of that Fat Tuesday. She couldn't find it. And then eventually uh, her son copped to it and said, uh, I had that loaf of my bread in my room <laughs> the entire time. And I've been eating it over the last three days and I've been smuggling butter and jelly into my room and slowly devouring it because I knew that I couldn't bring it back out halfway. Right. So I had to I had to finish all of it. Finish it and up. he goes he goes I'm giving it up for Lent though, so it's fine. I was really proud of him. He thought it through. Nice. I would say um, uh, when it comes to the cheese, it's I, I think you would have justification to appropriate a portion of cheese its right um, to a Tupperware container and then label it in your cubby for yourself because some guys eat inordinate amounts of Cheez-Its per sitting and you may like just three or four at a time and would like to, you know, enjoy them, you know, for a while. Appropriating the whole box means that you are now sovereign over the the Cheez-Its, which I would say is a direct violation of the communal nature of the gratuitous act of offering the cheese. Right. Because at the end of the day, what did Ian do? He forced my hand. By necessity, I'm taking these, right? What about the gratuity? Wait, did you, did you take them away from everyone? No, he ate all of them. What? Immediately. Yeah. He's one of these skinny guys who can eat like... Wunch. Yeah, he's like Wunch. He can just eat boxes of Cheez-Its every day and he still weighs He's also a gamer. Pounds. He's a gamer, so he he's just... He's a gamer. Yeah. yeah, so he's just playing his Nintendo Switch, licking, <laughs> licking his fingers. Um, so, so, yeah, so what that, was what was the punishment? Uh, I wrote his final eval before he was ordained, and I put this in there. You I, did? As a joke. I said, I blah, 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 human formation, areas of growth. And then I said, and that bastard ate my Cheez-Its, just to see if he'd catch it, because I, I had him read it before I sent it off to him. So, did, did he read it? He read it and laughed. And... Uh, yeah, but he's basically unfazed by three weeks of public humiliation, so I need to think think more deeply about this. I mean, at that point, I think what, what I would do is I would... Um, I would... Uh, um, what he did do was he gave me back... He bought me another box, and we put them okay. on the community so, show. See, they did, he did... Yeah, he, 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 made, he made retribution. So anyways, I've already told this story once with rap on the, sh- on the podcast, so we'll, we'll continue. But somebody sent another box of Cheez-Its this week. Mystery person. Your huh. name was not on the Amazon wow. box. So thank you, mystery Cheez-It person. Wow. And thanks also to Greg, who, bre- who gave me a thing of pretzel bites at Good Shepherd. I forgot them. That's why they're not here right now. That's they're still fine. sitting at the parish. So thank you to him. And then I have another shout-out here. Go ahead. This is the last one. You're on a roll. 
Laura Gifford. Laura Gifford. Now Laura. What? She got married. Sivlik. That's a that's a very Czech looking name. What? Sivlik. Patrick and Laura Sivlik had their their baby girl Lucy Rose uh-huh. was born on February twenty sixth, Ash Wednesday. She said, "Thanks for the podcast for distracting me through early labor until laughing became too painful." Okay, Laura, you're wonderful. Congratulations to Lucy. She got married. She's had she's, a child. She's a great mom. How do you know that? Because she was the she was the nanny for oh yeah uh, all the McCartney kids. Oh yeah. I always think of them when we what psalm is it? Graceful daughters, graceful as pillars. Yeah. I always think of the McCarthy girls. It's McCartney. McCartney that's what I said. Anyways. And Ben Rahimi, thanks for your great letter. Friendships are a funny thing. Chatting and drinking with you in a CC, I knew we were someone that I would get along with. And I would agree with that completely. I'll save the rest, but we love to have you. Yeah, here. Ben gave a nice thanks, ben. nice letter. And I met his uh, brother, John. Yep. John? John, yep. Yeah. And then uh, Good some, other, some other cats in the, uh, in the spirituality or house of uh, Father Thomas Byrne. Right. God bless those guys. All right, folks. Uh, it's late. Um, we have covered a lot. Uh, what? Notification. Hey, if you guys are recording tonight, can you announce? Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Anniversary merch is for sale in the website. She's gonna get mad that you made her sound like that. So yeah, yeah uh, I forgot about that. We did. I did have one public announcement. So, um, we we had our ten year anniversary party. We had shirts made for that. Some people would like them. They're just as soft and fluffy as the last ones. Um, the uh, the website should be up by the end of the weekend. You can purchase those, and I possibly think coasters. Coasters? Not coasters. Well, no idea. Koozies. Koozies. Possibly? I don't know. Maybe the koozies. If not, uh, request it. So um, we'll check it out from there. Hey, thanks for getting through this one tonight, and thank you, Father Nathan, for getting through it. Did we it. did. We did it. We got through it. We did. And it's time for night night. Night night. Catholic, Catholic stuff. Podcast. Podcast. Dot com. <laughs> it's dot com. See ya.